The street is where we create. We call it suburbanpreneurship. Mixing big company resources with an entrepreneurial spirit. This is Electric People. What's up, Electric People? It's Ty Williams. We have on the podcast today, Keith Dyer. So Keith is a 20 plus year industry vet. He has played just about every single role in street sales. He's been a sales rep. He's been a manager. He's been a regional manager. He's been a VP. He's been a company owner. He, uh, at one point in his career, created his own regional alarm company, built it up, sold it for an impressive multiple, uh, and joined the ranks of Sunrun just over a year ago where he went through that same loop again from sales rep to manager to now being one of our newest um, directors up in Northern California. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode because it is just apparent when Keith speaks that he's just a highly developed individual. The way he thinks, the skills that he has, his perspective, it's amazing. I honestly think a lot of people will listen to it and probably avoid some mental and some tactical shortfalls. I think it'll probably provide good career advice to people and it's no secret why he's had the success that he's had and why he will continue to do great things. So some people, you, you, you get a taste of their mindset. You just want more. And that's what Keith Dyer is. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Electric People with Keith Dyer. San Jose, California, 8.30 in the morning. What do we got going today? Um, well, first of all, I'm exhausted. I'm yeah. happy to be here now. I kept you out late last night. <laughs> um. I kept you out late last night with, I believe, the best seafood dish you've ever had. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not even a fish guy. Like, so I was scouring the menu looking for like the one steak. And we ate at the fish house. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I decided to be bold and I went for whatever the butter halibut or miso something. And it was miso delicious. It was unbelievable. I think though you kind of had to do it because the guy was so enthusiastic about it. He was. When you asked that guy what the best thing on the menu was, and he lit up like a little child, like you get that. Dude, meal. and he was delighted that we loved the food. Yeah. I didn't get that meal, but I'm glad you did. Well, what, I'm so I'm glad you ordered the other one because I was going to order the one that you did. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. Yeah. It was fine. I'm glad, I'm glad I ate something, but I could have done anything else. Um, I was thinking this morning before you came in, so hotel style, like the old days, Two, two leaders in a hotel get ready to do a team visit. I love it. Um, but I was thinking this morning, I love team visits. Yeah. Like I've, I've been doing team visits now for, I don't know, maybe 12, 13 years, something like that. Yeah. But I actually love it. I actually like love going to teams. Yeah. It's kind of like, like seeing other families, you know what I mean? Right. Like going to like a big family reunion and just like experiencing it. But now that like the industry is more developed and now that the leaders are a lot more developed, they really are like whole like experiences, like seeing different teams. Yeah. It's funny is because like, you know, my background is doing this, like traveling around and visiting a lot of people and stuff. And so being out of like this particular arena for a while and then re-entering the space after a long period of time, it's been awesome to like kind of reignite that like excitement of being able to go out and, and meet new people and like, you know, uh, get to know lots of like new faces and, you know, help with the development of people. Like it's, it's been a lot of fun. The cool thing is there's a lot of cool people around here. So like, you know, today we're going to go and visit South Bay and they're an awesome team and they have tons of energy and the leaders are awesome. And, you know, so it's something I've missed, you know, yeah. before I would travel around a lot, right. And have this experience. And when you're traveling the country and meeting a lot of people, you know, you kind of 
take for granted how cool that experience yeah. is, right? And yeah. it's cool. Like it's it's a privilege to be able to, you know, introduce yourself to a lot of people and interact with, um, you know, all kinds of folks. So it's interesting because I always have two thoughts. Like when I go see teams, number one is I believe like expansion is exposure. I think in order to grow, you have to be exposed to more stuff. And I've always thought like uh, every time I'm with a team, I always think of a handful of leaders that I wish could see it. You know what I mean? Like we'll be in a certain team and maybe they're great at culture. Maybe they have a great accountability system or something like that. And I always think, oh, I wish this leader or this leader were here to see how good this is because right. it, it just exposes you to more stuff and it helps you kind of like broaden your horizons. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think of that I hope comes off the right way, but I'm always surprised that I know, even after all of these years, I'm surprised that I know what to do. You know, it's a bit like I say, well, so for example, you and I will get into your background, but you and I both come from an alarm background, like a, so transitioning to solar, it was okay. I think my skill set will transfer, but I actually don't know. Right. Right. And so I was really surprised that as I was exposed to solar and as I was exposed to the new industry and solar teams, even, I mean, I had 11 or so years of experience, but when I saw it, I was still somewhat surprised that I knew what to do. Yeah. I like saw a team. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So your, your, you know, your meeting is a little off kilter. Your team doesn't really have a vision or your goals are too low or this guy doesn't feel accountable or whatever. Like, I don't know why, but like, I've always been surprised that I know what to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's interesting because I, to be honest, I was a little bit concerned, like if the skills would transit, if you yeah. would translate, right. And it's been pleasantly surprising to, to, you know, kind of affirm what I already thought that I knew, which is the structure of the cell is the same. Like you just insert a new product. The structure of leadership is the same. You just insert new people. Right. And those principles kind of like transcend across the industry, you know, specifically like, you know, if you take the cell, for example, you, you break preoccupation, you introduce a problem, you offer a solution, and then you transition to something. Well, like that's applicable regardless of the industry. Yeah. Right. And so that was like really, um, enlightening for me to have that experience where these principles that worked in this specific, specific space for a long period of time, you could take them and you can apply them to something new. So it, and it's weird because principally, you know that, right. But it's weird that it like, oh, Hey, this works. They're like, yeah. yeah. Well, dude, the other cool thing is like actually, you know, learning a new, learning a new product and yeah. learning a new industry. Right. Yeah. So being in the alarm space for so many years, like, man, I, you you talk about a motion sensor or like you know the potential of somebody breaking in the back door for you know for so many years that you just get exhausted you know by a particular thing and so it's been awesome like learning you know about the solar space and you know far beyond the cell what it you know the impact that it can have on like you know the energy uh arena and you know people's way of life and and that type of thing so um the nice thing about it is it's actually in a, in a really, you know, short amount of time, I've become a huge fan of the industry, like massive. And, um, and that helps you sell it, right? Like if you believe in a product and if you actually feel like you're helping somebody, like that's the foundation from like, for being able to do a good job at, at um, uh, at selling it and then helping other people sell it. Right. So the stronger your conviction, the better you're able to do something. So, 
I've been pleasantly surprised. And, and, and to be honest, like that was one of my big hesitations to enter the space in the beginning was, you know, I looked at the panels and they were bright blue and they were big. And, you know, at the time, like utilities were really low and it didn't really like seem to pencil for me, but now diving into it, seeing the actual, like value proposition for the customer and what it can do. And they actually look pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you know, if it's done right, if it's done the the sun run way, like it looks, it looks really good. Yeah. So, it's a better way to do it. Yeah. I think, um, timing plays such an important role in everything. This is something that I've like really been kind of fixated on lately. Like I'm one of the first to admit that like in my career, I've benefited largely from timing. Every, everybody really has it and you can go as deep as you want with it. But like, for example, the fact that, um, you know, the growth has happened, like we all work hard, we all contribute, but it also happens to be at a time when the planet desperately needs a different power solution. It also happens to be at a time when like financial instruments exist to make really expensive things easily digestible in a low monthly payment. It also happens at a time when technological innovation is allowing, you know, the, the, the broad spread of ideas very quickly. And so it's like, you don't just come in and add a bunch of value. There's a lot of factors at play to growth, but your timing for this is interesting because you've talked about getting into this space. I mean, you're friends with my brother, Jordan. Um, we have a million industry friends. You were a founder of a company with chance Allred. But your timing in entering solar is really interesting because you've been swung at, per se, for years and years and years, but you're here now. Well, dude, I'm considered a late adapter. Ah, okay. <laughs> so you're just being true to your personality. Well, I mean, I still have CDs in my car. No, so you that, don't. I do. I Which do. CDs? Okay, Tupac's All Eyes on Me. The Weezer Blue Album. I definitely have the Weezer Blue Album. Uh, Bone Thugs in Harmony. Uh, Bone Thugs. <laughs> You can tell I'm from, we'll get into it, but Metallica. I'm, I'm, I'm from Federal Way and you're from University Place, yeah. probably 15 miles away, but yeah. it changes the CD collection quite a bit. Well, half of them are mixed, you know, mixed CDs. Oh, right? man. It'll just Do you really have CDs? In Absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I have Spotify, but I prefer like, there's something so wholesome about like flipping through there, pulling out a CD that you made in like 2008. Dude, you know what's funny? Like when I realized that I was old, my car got broken into, right? So- my my I, like most people they've they've probably had like their car broken into and something stolen so um the first time it happened i lost all my cds and i was devastated yeah like it's thousands of dollars and you probably and you pick it up one at a time right, like right. you know what i mean but this last time it happened um they, they busted the back window of my truck it was in front of my house and uh i go in to see like what's been taken they took my gym bag which had like some sweats in it and like some pre-workout or something <laughs> and they left my cds i had like yeah timing dude dude they just come CDs, right <laughs> and they were still there and and this time i was like offended like wait what you don't want my cds yeah right so um it says like keith and jenny's love mix and like <laughs> you know what, what there are hits on this people <laughs> no so I mean, if anything, it tells you that like the industry is in a really good place for a guy like me to finally like see how awesome it is. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that was a big deal is I wanted to feel like I was providing something that was meaningful, something that I could believe in. And um, that happened really fast. And that's been like an unbelievably pleasant surprise to feel like 
it's a good value to the customer. It's a great company to work for. The company has an incredible vision. Like, you know, I think sometimes we undervalue the importance of like a CEO's vision, um, because that sets the tone for the entire organization. Right. And so like, I, I hope that everybody understands how amazing it is. Like when Mary, as an example, will come out and visit a team and she's smiling and she's rocking and, and she shares her vision and like she's steps ahead of where the industry's at. Like that's a really big deal, right? Because there's like an echo effect that reflects to the entire organization when you have the right like leadership in place, right? So then you have the next level of management that also shares that vision and then so on and so forth. And so you're building programs and structures in order to execute at the highest level, right? And so that's what I've felt since I've been here. It's been, it's exceeded all expectations, right? So <clears throat> when you and I first talked months ago, I was kind of just thinking that I would like go and I would sell, you know, I told you this, uh -huh. um, partially to, you know, earn extra income, but partially to like show my kids that, you know, dads are supposed to work, right? So. I was living in St. George, playing some golf. I was on my boat. Like we were having great times. And my kids were like, dad, what's your job? And I was like, well, I'm your dad. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but what's your job? Right. I'm like, well, you know, like I'm your dad. I, I mean, I had this company, I sold it, but you know, I'm your dad, you know? And they're like, okay. It didn't really like compute. I'm like, oh man, I have like a really important responsibility to teach kids, my children, how to work, how to be industrious, like how to provide. Right. And then plus there was an element of my life that like, wasn't quite firing, you know, like there was the side of me that wanted to go and like, um, to create and to compete and to like, you know, uh, implement skills that had been developed over time. And so it was almost like I was kind of yearning for something. So when you and I originally spoke, um, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to go and sell. Uh, maybe a couple days a week down in Vegas or whatever, like that'll like give me some fulfillment. I enjoy selling. I enjoy talking to people. Like I don't mind going door to door, but I really like meeting new people. Right. So the trade-off is you have to go door to door, but you get to meet really great people. And so that was the initial expectation. And then when we met, I was pleasantly surprised with what you guys had. And then since I've been here, it's just gotten better and better. Like it's been tremendous. So really and I have, and, and the good news or the good thing about that is I have something to compare that to, right? Yeah. Because I, I worked at Apex, you know, from its teeny tiny stage when we were just a couple of teams and, you know, like not very many reps and the year was 2003, 2002, two, 2002. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I signed up in 2001 in Rexburg, Idaho. My, my roommate was, uh, Greg Snyder's little brother, Eldon Snyder. So Greg was like one of the original, yeah. like regionals at apex so me and eldon were roommates like we met before so this would have been the first year they did alarms or the second um it would have been the second year they did because it was creative marketing pest control that's right yeah. so you came in the second year they did alarms that's right okay yeah and there was just a few teams and if you did a hundred you were a baller you realize that some of the people listening to this that work here were born after 2002. <laughs> I realized that. Man. Let that sit in yeah. for a second. Yeah, right. Let's go I, started, hey, I started in 03, so I'm in the same boat as you. But I always ask that question, and I'm like, okay, well, I started in 03, and I was like, who was in middle school? Half the group raised their hand. I'm like, who wasn't alive? And a couple raised their hand. Right. Like, it still blows me. The funny thing is, is like the percentage of people that weren't alive when you and I started is only increasing. Yes. So mathematically. Yes. Well, 
Yeah. So um, tell that story because I don't think a lot of people know your industry chops. So got so, signed up with Apex Alone yeah. from Rexburg, Idaho. Yeah. A small dealer at the time. Tiny. A tiny dealer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Keith and Todd were the owners, but it was so small that we hung out with them all the time. Right. Like, they were effectively managers. Yeah. You know, we'd play golf all the time. We'd go on vacation together. We'd go, like, we, it was a small company, right? And so they were up in Rexburg, like, weekly. Um, and before the summer even started, I, you know, pretty much considered those guys friends. That's how little the company was. Um, but the expectation then was, you know, to go out, you know, doors and I wanted to make like $10,000. That would have been like a fortune, you know, like give me a, like a pirate treasure map and like follow, I'll follow it around the entire country yeah. and walk on my hands for half of the time for $10,000. That's like the gold at the end of the rainbow. I would have been absolutely thrilled. Right. Uh, but she has a college kid. Like that was my same focus is. You mean to tell me that I can work for four months and then I don't have to work for eight? Right. And yeah, I you don't go to six to and I get, yeah. Yeah. And I can I could take dates to Chili's sometimes. <laughs> my wife and I's first That's right. You Chili's. could like you could pay. You I didn't even you... check my account before I went to Chili's. That's how <laughs> I didn't even check that balance. No, you didn't. No, dude. No, I knew what was there. Um, so you went out in oh was oh three your first year? Two was your first year. Yeah. Yeah, so I went with um, Eldon and, like, a few others. Um, I was my only friend, or I, I was the only one of my friend group to go, like, aside from Eldon. Mm -hmm. So all my buddies from the hometown and everybody that I, you know, had met in college, like, everybody thought that that was silly. Yeah. You know, like, back then it was still potentially a scam. Yeah, right? it sounded like a scam. You're not going to get paid. Yeah. No one can make $10,000 in, you know, four months as a college kid or whatever. So when I made four times that, everybody was like, wait, what? Right. Like when I actually went out and did well and was one of the top reps that that year and I came home and told all my friends like it was game over. Right. Like they all came with me the next year. And we, you know, built one of the top offices in the company that year. It's um, funny. We were but talking it about required me going out and like being the guinea pig, I guess. And dude, I was a full on guinea pig. So I had no cell phone. I had no money. I drove out to Denver when I left Salt Lake at 9 a.m. that morning. I got to Denver at like two in the morning. So do that math, 9 a.m. to 2 a.m., right? It should be like an eight hour drive. That's a right? long drive. Yeah, it was like 17 hours because I got lost. And the reason I got lost is because I had no GPS. Because you had a Rand McNally, like, <laughs> no, dude, I was metropolitan map, <laughs> or like the fold out map. Right? I was stopping in Mavericks and borrowing maps to get there because I didn't want to pay like the 350 to. Dude, I remember like the first night, like, I, we had the same problem when I went to Virginia. So I was in Virginia my second year. Yeah. And we were knocking an area that was probably 10 to 20 miles from the house. Yeah. And it was the first week and it took me like two hours to get home because literally right. I was like going on the, like the, the metropolitan book yeah. map, like trying to get home and you just lap around trying to figure it out. Right. <laughs> that is so, so wild. Yeah, dude. And that's how I think about it now. If someone were like, don't use a GPS, you need to get from where we're sitting in San Jose to this apartment complex in Denver. It may even take you longer because you don't have those street navigating skills anymore, you know? Yeah, dude. So I roll in at like 1.30 to Denver and I'm like in the middle of the city. I have no idea where to go. I drove out by myself, right? With no money. No cell And phone. I find a, yeah, no cell phone. And I find a gas station that happened to be open and I use a pay phone and, you know, call my manager and he tells me where to go, like how to get to Highlands Ranch. And um, I roll in at like two in the morning and... 
you know, the rest is history. So that's so crazy. Yeah. yeah we used to get dropped off at the rock and be yeah. like, Hey, here's this rock. We'll see you here at this rock at nine o'clock tonight, mm -hmm. you know? And so, and if you come to the rock at nine and you're not there, you're either in a sale, which is the first assumption yeah. or you've been abducted. But you just, uh, uh, yeah, you go to the rock. It's so funny to think about this, but if I was your car group leader and young, bright eyed Keith Dyer is not at the rock at 9 p.m., I'm going to then go to all the other spots and pick everybody else up. Right. So if you get to that rock at 9 15 and I'm not there, what are your options? Dude, you just sit, right? And trust that sometime someone's going to come get you. There were plenty of times when the car group leader would show up at like 11 30. Yeah. Cause like it was not out. uncommon to sit there for like two hours 100%. with nothing to do. Yeah. No phone, no nothing, like right. no place to go just in the dark in a neighborhood. Yeah. In somebody's neighborhood. Dude, this is a funny story. So same year in Virginia, I, uh, which, we, which city were you in Fairfax? Fairfax. Yeah. And so we had, um, this is 05. Yeah. So we had cell phones then, yeah. but you couldn't have fun on them. There's nothing to do on they a cell phone. game. Well, I had a Kyocera slide. Yeah. So I didn't have the Nokia. Oh, shoot. You know, the Nokia yeah. brick. Literally, you, you could buy your... had a good summer yet. I had a Yin Yang Twins ringtone yeah. on, <laughs> on my phone. Um, but funny. I remember it was the end of the summer. It was like, you know, there's like a day or two left. And so those that were fighting to hit pay scale levels were still selling. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the other guys were like done and they're waiting for their rides. Yeah. And so I had dropped off this group and I had to, you know, one of my rules was I only pee in houses, but. I just could not get into a home and my bladder was going to explode. So I go to a Rite Aid to use the bathroom. Yeah. And there's four people in the car group. Three of them at different times had wandered to Rite Aid and they were all in the magazine section, like <laughs> looking at magazines. <laughs> That's what you do if you don't work. Like literally yeah. like yeah. those are your other options. Right. You're not like in your car yeah. on the, on your apps and stuff like yeah. that. You know what I mean? What's funny is that disadvantage was actually probably our oh. best advantage. Yeah. If your option is go yeah. make money and work yeah. or sit on the rock. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That made no sense. Ty Mickelson tells a story. <laughs> you might've told it on this podcast of, um, sitting, like having that kind of dark night of the soul where you're a couple of weeks in, your sales are low, you're frustrated, your, your, your confidence is shot to pieces and sitting on that way and you get picked up and just crying by himself. Oh, and when he was saying that, I was like, Hey, I know what that feels like. Like, and keep in mind back then you're chasing 200 to $300 a sale. Right. Yeah. In, in, a, and, in and, and the reality is it, it actually wasn't much easier than no, what we do. Like the difference between what we had to do in order to like build value, close the deal, get it installed, all that stuff. Like it wasn't, it wasn't much easier. It wasn't much, it was slightly more simple and it was faster, but it wasn't necessarily easier. I always say it was like, it was like flying a helicopter because, you know, with solar, you, you kind of drive a car, right? You, you go one direction and it's a, it's, you know, you have multiple touches and you can slowly get people on board, but an alarm sale is so chaotic because you're having to build emotion and any entrance, like any person that comes into the room changes the dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're flying a helicopter, you know, you got like the little stick and then you got both feet on the paddle and you got to like. You got to adjust like the nose. Like, there's so much happening, yeah. right? The pitch and the yaw. What do you know about yaw, dude? Like that's a kind of And so it's like, you're using words that no idea. There's so much happening when you fly a helicopter. Like, sure. and so, you know, in an alarm sale, you're, you're, you could be 30 minutes in with really high emotion with a spouse. And then the husband comes home or, or even the kid and the, or the 70 oh, year old kid yeah. walks in right. and you've got to control. And now you're like, okay, I got to maintain this level of motion. 
I have to get you to like me and bring your level of emotion yeah. up, get you guys on the same page and then drive back to my yeah. destination. Because it all happened really fast. And it was an emotional sale. Yeah. Right. I was thinking about this when you were talking that I had this, I think we did, we don't have to do this in solar, but you have to build emotion. Like when you're talking about the motion detector, you have to get people to envision what could happen. And I always felt really ethical about alarm sales because you know, some people would say like, oh, that's a scare tactic. And it's like, no, people need to be, people need to know what I know. For example, I had this woman in Minnesota. It was a terrible story. Yeah. Um, but which city in Minnesota? It was in Egan. Dude, I sold there too. Really? <laughs> I sold there in 2002. I sold there in 2007 yeah. and I yeah. freaking hate that place. Yeah. But anyway, the, um, it's the only market I can confidently say I did not like who mm. was selling there. But anyway, the, uh, so there's this woman and she had just had back surgery. So I sold her an alarm. I didn't know any of this. Actually, yeah. no, I did know this. Sorry, I did know this. Um, but the story is this. She had had back surgery and it was hot in the middle of the summer. And so she couldn't sleep in her bed. She felt better to lay on her couch. So she's laying on her couch and it was a single, like small Rambler Midwestern home. Sure. So this couch is, you know, 10 feet from the front door. Once you walk into the front door, you're in the living room. There's a hallway to the bedrooms, right? Like just a small house. Yeah. And so she's on this couch that's right through the front door and it was hot. So she had the front door open and the screen door shut and the screen door was locked. Okay. Right. Yeah. So somebody driving through the neighborhood saw that that screen door was open. They walked up, they cut the screen, they reached their hand and they opened the door. Yeah. And the husband was in the bedroom and awoke to like a muffled struggle in yeah. the living room. Right. He came out and his wife who had just had back surgery was laying on her back. And a stranger was on top of her yeah. struggling. Yeah. Right. That's what happened. Yeah. Right. And so we gave them an alarm. And then within their three day window, that husband freaking canceled the alarm. I'm still, I'm still mad about it. And <laughs> I, remember, I remember going hey, back in almost two decades, man. I can't let it go. It was $39, dude. It was $39. For so, three years, for three, they were thirty foot contracts back, and then. she wants it. So anyway, but I remember going back to the house, and you know, a lot of times you try to like resolve the concerns, and just sure. this guy just kind of lost it. I was like, listen, man, like your wife wants this. She's endured a trauma that you and I do not understand. This costs next to nothing. Don't cancel the system. And I was right. like so emotional that of course he canceled and I lost it. But it was like, hey, where's this house? You want to go there? When we wrap up when we wrap should this we up. Here, we should head out there. Should we go? But it's one of those things where it's like, so then you have to sell these people and it's like, okay, they're not thinking about that. Like this happened in one house. The next door neighbor doesn't even know about it. They're certainly not thinking about it, but it could happen. Right. And so the challenge of getting a complete stranger that doesn't want to hear anything from you aware and actually connected to their responsibility of protecting the home. That's a really hard job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like in solar, it's also a hard job, but you don't have to do that. You know? Yeah, but there is an element to it that you that you have to do, and that's you have to bring to an awareness the things that they're thinking, uh, or maybe that they're not thinking, but like that they know subconsciously, right? Yeah. So what you did is you took something like from the subconscious mind and brought it to their conscious mind, which is there's risk, there's a potential threat, maybe it will never happen, but it might. And this at a minimum could provide you peace of mind, right? And when it comes to solar, what you brought to their attention is, you know that bill that you haven't looked at in a while, it's gone up, right? I know you don't really want to look at it to see like how much it's gone up to, but we maybe, maybe we should, uh, because you might be surprised. And let me explain to you why it's gotten there. And so 
you know, the elements, um, the, the product itself is different, but like what you're actually doing is the same. It's exactly. Right. So you're just bringing people. something to the mind of people that like, they already know it's there. They, but maybe they don't want to face it or maybe they haven't thought about it, but, um, you know, it's something that everybody can, you know, that they'll, that they'll see once you bring it to their attention. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I always think, um, if people have the right information, they'll generally make the right decision. Like if they're on the same wavelength and have the right information, right? So like when you, when you break the preoccupation initially, when you warm them up to the idea and present the information properly, they'll generally walk with you through the solution. The ones where you have to kind of struggle and like, it feels like you're kind of beating each other over the head. Those are the ones where had you just presented the information in the soothing way that you just did, they likely would have followed you to the right solution. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you get expert, it feels effortless. Well, the thing is, is I think that we really undervalue the importance of breaking preoccupation, right? Like that, because we do focus a lot on like the importance of building the problem, how 80% of the presentation is problem, right? Like really bringing that to their attention. But it's really important to get somebody to like trust you and feel comfortable with you to like validate why you're there and for them to know that you're a person, right? Like, because then the words that you say after are more meaningful, yeah. right? So if they know that you have a family, just like they have a family, you have friends, just like they have friends, you have a house, just like they have a house. Like you're just a normal citizen. And what you have to say is genuine, right? You're not there to like bait and switch or like pull the wool over there, like any of that stuff. You're actually there to communicate a message that is true and it's important. But in order for that to even have any weight, they first have to realize like, hey, this is just a guy or gal just like me. Mm -hmm. And so if you can get really good at establishing that, like breaking the preoccupation, taking their mind off, whatever it is that they're thinking about, but more importantly, they know that, you know, you, you're a reasonably trustworthy person then the things that you have to tell them are much more meaningful. Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, we used to say always, we have these corny little isms, right? But we always say it's not about the deal, it's about the feel, right? Like it's about how how's the relationship, how's the connection? Well, then you can walk through the deal. But if you try to sell just based on the deal, it doesn't work. The, yeah. the feel has to be there, yeah. right? So, okay, you're stranded in Denver. You finally make it to your apartment. Things are, things are looking up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> Um, first victory secured. Yeah. Yeah. So we make it and there's a pool and the apartment's nice. Like it was a huge upgrade from Rexburg, Idaho. Right. I'm like, Hey man, this place is, even if I don't sell anything, like I get free rent be for four, right? This pool's amazing. Yeah. It's right next to this awesome, like little, you know, shopping center. This is going to be, I used to work at that shopping center. I used to work at the, uh, at the mall there near the park Meadows mall. Did you really? Yeah. I finished high school in Denver. That's amazing. I worked at PacSun. Yeah. Of course you did. And of course you and did. And I bought up. CDs that say I'm good yes, on my break. Dude. Full circle. Yes, you did. Highlands Ranch. Yeah. So you were So it was good. And and I went out and I didn't know what I was doing, but I decided to work hard, right? Like what I decided to do, not knowing anything. So that was the thing, is like we kind of hung out at the building here and there, but we didn't do training, right? So we weren't prepared at all. Right. Like at all. Right. Um, I had never seen a contract. Like I, I didn't know what a motion sensor did. I thought a glass break detector protected their entire house and their neighbors' houses, right? Like I didn't know. Mm -hmm. But I made a decision that 
I was going to work all of the hours and I was going to do everything that I could because the amount that I could potentially make if I put in my best effort was more money than I'd ever seen. And that was worth giving a hundred percent. And so when you make that decision, like when you, when you finally determine that I'm going to give everything that I have, you figure out the solutions. Yeah. You find a way to learn things quicker, um, and to actually like accomplish the goal. But the first thing that you have to do is you have to fully commit to what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So I made that decision early on and I hustled and it worked out. It was great. You talked about this last night a little bit, how your brain's wired for survival, not necessarily success. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's designed to help you not experience pain and to stay alive. Right. And I think what you said is so vital. And honestly, it's really consistent with a lot of early street sellers where they say, I made a decision that I am going to do this. Like I'm not going home. I'm going to work the hours. And so I think what that forces your brain to do is to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stop, uh, trying to get you out of this and I'm going to start figuring out how to get you through this. Yeah. Right. And the temptations to go home were huge, right? Like, you know, they, my family had a golf club, you know, like a nice golf club that was a lot of fun to play at. And, you know, we went boating and all my friends were home. Like we'd all just return home from our missions and stuff. And so, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't, when I say the temptation was huge, there were a lot of things to go home to, but the temptation itself was very small for me. Like I never thought about it. It was like, I'm doing this. There was, there was no alternative. The bridges were absolutely burned. First of all, I didn't even have the money to drive all the way home. Right. Or I don't think I would have made it because I wouldn't have known where to go. Uh, would have ended up in a different place. So, um, it just, those things didn't even, they didn't matter. Right. Like I didn't envy my buddies that were at the lake that summer at all. Yeah. I was excited to be out like, you know, being industrious and like, you know, putting myself to work. Like there's something really satisfying about going out and working hard on your feet where you're pushing yourself physically and mentally. Like that is a great day Mm -hmm. when you go out and it's hot and you're talking to a lot of people. And so you're using your mind, um, but you're also using your body. Right. And I think that we're designed to do that. And so what you'll find, I think is it's far more satisfying to like go out and just pound the doors and get a WC in my opinion than to drive to a WC and then drive home. Yeah. Like you don't get the same exhilaration because I think that there's like this harmonious balance between like your mind, your physical and your mental. And that's what this job offers. And so I discovered that without knowing that I discovered it early on. Like, I like this, like, I like the grind. I, I like putting in hours. I feel really good about that. And it's evidenced in the fact that you want to go party at like 11 o'clock at night. You know, you just went and you knocked really, you know, hard but you want to go to In-N-Out Burger and get milkshakes and hang out till one in the morning and listen to CDs with your buddies, right? It's because it's fun. Yeah. You know, you're not depressed and you're not sad about how hard you just work. You're like, that was amazing. Yeah. So it's it's a cool job. I've come to, I heard a definition of um, the soul like a year ago. Because a lot of times when you think of your soul, you think of it as like your spirit, like your inner spiritual kind of being. Sure. But the definition I heard is the soul is the body and the spirit together. Yeah. And so if you think about it, when you talk about, you said, you think we're built to do that. We're, we're built to create, right? Think about that. Like we're, Absolutely. all we do is go around and make stuff. When you're a yeah. kid, you know, you make a mess and then you make a 
picture for your mom and then and then right. you make a friend right? right and then and then as an adult you you know you you make a career and you make a family and you you feel a certain way when you produce something that didn't exist before sure and you know even back to your um your your kind of like idea of making a sale versus getting a sale you supplement with the ones you get that feels efficient that's good but there is like there is no greater fulfillment than bringing something into existence that was not there before, yeah. you know, and in this job, you have highs and lows because in trying to do it, it's painful. Yeah, of course. But when you do it, making something virtuous is awesome. Mm -hmm. And to be a total hippie, you're making yourself the whole time, right? So like you're more resilient, you're stronger, you're, you're better at your trade, you can help more people. And so when you come out of a summer or a, or a quarter here, you've made sales you've made relationships you've made commerce you've you've created business where there wasn't business before yeah and then you think of what you've made you've made skills within yourself you stand before people a more uh evolved being mm -hmm. what better opportunity i mean your other option is you could go to a job that's not fulfilling where you create someone else's vision or maybe you just fill a spot right you know what i mean and it's not just either or like that but when i think of the job as an ability to create and then leadership where you're creating skills within others, you're creating a team, you're creating an environment, you're creating an experience. When you follow the ripple of that, mm. like what's going to happen in South Bay today is we're going to see leaders that create a feeling and an enlightenment with their team and they're going to develop some skills. Then they're going to go out, all hundred of them, and they're going to interact with the community. And those people in the community are going to interact with other people. So the ripples that they'll make, I mean, I don't know if you can even quantify how far reaching that will be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's really a special opportunity that I think a lot of times we take for granted, which is the opportunity to meet so many people in their place of residence, right? Like where they are safe, like where eventually they become vulnerable, right? Like once you get to know somebody and they, again, they realize that you're a person, they start to share things with you that maybe they haven't shared with somebody in a while, yeah. right? Or maybe they have conversations and that to me, that stuff matters. And that's part of the reason why I've been able to like, do this job in some capacity for 21 years is because you know the money only takes you so far but if you can derive meaning through other sources and you know i find that by like connections and relationships i met this amazing person yesterday named trudy she was super sweet she was like early 80s and i could tell she hadn't talked to anybody in a while and so i just spotted up on her porch and we sat down and i invited her to sit at her own table like sit down trudy okay <laughs> And I got to know Trudy and she's from Germany and they migrated here like when she was 20 and, you know, she showed me where like she grew up or she talked about it. She told me about her parents, all that stuff. And I could tell that she hadn't shared these stories in a while. And I listened attentively and we talked about like her neuropathy and I gave her some suggestions and whatever. And then, you know, and it's not always this way, right? And then I presented like the problem and offered the solution. And because she was comfortable with me, she thought, well, even though I've talked to people before about this, right, a lot, and she told all of them no, like she kind of hobbled out of her chair and she went and she like, you know, I could hear her you know, going through, through papers and stuff inside. And then she kind of moseyed outside with a, a bill. She was like, hey, is this it? Right. Sounds pretty good. And so what's cool is like, yeah, you got a bill and you set appointment. Well, what's really cool is you met somebody that's awesome. Yeah. Right. And they got to share their story and you got to listen 
and that expands your life. It expands who you are. And so we really shouldn't take for granted like the relationships that we build and the interactions that we have. And I'll probably never see her again after the WC, right? Except maybe if she has a problem or stopping in to see how it went or whatever. Um, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't meaningful. You know? And so, you know, it's a it's a cool job um, for a number of reasons. And and that to me is probably one of the most uh, the most important is is the the relationships with people. And how long were you how long were you at Vivint Apex then Vivint before? So I was a Vivint. Uh, yeah, so it was Apex um, before they uh, rebranded to Vivint. But um, I was there from 2002 to 2006. So basically five summers. Um, and, you know, my last year that I was there as a regional manager. So I got to see like a lot of the country. Um, so the first four years I was a seller and then a manager and, you know, um, and then, uh, it was a really cool experience being able to go and see different parts of the country and, and, uh, you know, visit teams and things like that. So I was there for effectively five selling years, um, before we started platinum in 2007. So what drove you to make that decision? Um, to start platinum. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> A lot of things. So I, it's not that I was unhappy at Apex. Like it was great. Like we had an awesome year and I uh, appreciated my relationship with other people there and with uh, Keith and Todd and, you know, like it was awesome. Um, <clears throat> but uh, one, I was ambitious. Um, two, the other guys that were starting it were probably my closest friends at Apex and the ones that I like revered the most. Um, and three, I saw some holes and things that I wanted to fix, things I wanted to do differently. Um, and so not to get into like the details, you know, specifically, there were some things that were also disappointing that I thought that we could correct and do better. Right. So it was a combination of ambition with, uh, belief in self with, um, you know, connections I had to people that I really respected chance being one of them, mm -hmm. um, with ideas that we could create an improved system, right? And we actually were able to accomplish that and to do it really quickly. Like we were, we did some amazing things, but one of the things that we really undervalued was the fact that Apex was well-funded, right? And they had secured that funding during like a pretty good time to secure funding. And when we were trying to secure funding, it was like during the Great Recession, you know, that was a huge complication for us. Yeah. So, but, you know, I don't have any like, Apex was amazing and, and, you know, they built some tremendous, they, they built a tremendous organization and later Vivint and so. So one of those things too, where, I mean, I've seen lots of people branch out. Sometimes people try new things. I've seen some work, I've seen some not work, but when you talked about how well-funded it was, it was interesting because if you left in 06, that was just before things started to fall apart. And so you almost don't know to value or even to look to that financial stability as um, as important as it is, right? Because well, everything was good at that time. And I remember when you guys secured the funding and I, I you know, I met with Platinum, I remember it. And you had, a, you had a uber rich guy that was funding it and you had all these things lined up. But it's interesting what happens when the floor falls out. You didn't well, the, foresee the economy. Well, the problem is, is that we didn't have institutional money. We had private money and there's a substantial difference, yeah. right? And at the time as a 26 year old kid, I didn't 
know the difference between right. the two. And so that was one of the fundamental reasons for me even joining Sunrun and no one else. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I told you, I said, it, you said, who, you asked me like directly, who else am I looking at? And I said, no one, right? Like, it's not a very good, like, you know, negotiating place to be is, you know, but I meant it. Um, it was effectively Sunrun or nobody. Um, because I realized how important it was to have financing and to have like the backing necessary to not just to continue to grow, but also to weather things. Right. I had no idea that like that statement would be so true so quickly. Um, cause that wasn't that long ago. Right. Right. Um, but it was the reason why I didn't even look at anyone. Didn't even look. Um, I wasn't interested in anybody that didn't like control things from top to bottom. Yeah. It's interesting too, because, you know, there's kind of two ways to learn things. You can experience it yourself or you can see someone else experience it. And it's funny because I get a lot of people that ask like, how come you don't start your own thing? And from my vantage with the amount of experience I've seen, because I'm, I'm actually a purebred. I've only been here, right? I mean, I've been at apex that turned into vivid, which turned into vivid solar, which turned into Sunrun, but I've really only yeah, been, you're like Kobe. Yeah, I've really only Sorry. been at finished with the Lakers. Yeah. I've really only been at, at one spot. But that doesn't mean I haven't experienced it because I've seen thousands of people make different decisions and I've seen thousands of companies kind of come and go. Yeah. And so with the experience that I have when people ask me that, I'm like, you don't understand mm -hmm. how uninterested in that I am because one, the 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 back to timing and alignment and just fortuitous like events that have happened it's it's very rare that i actually fell in with institutional money really early on right that i fell in with relationships and people that i trust that are good really early on and i'd love to say that like that was through careful articulate research but it really wasn't i just got lucky like i happened to know some guys that worked at a really good company those people are still my friends and the company is better than i thought like yeah. it, it really i've just been lucky but at some point i have been somewhat smart to say okay I can see what happens, the risk that people take when they branch out and other things could work out, but there's tremendous risk, right? And I think when people ask me, how come you don't start your own thing? They, they don't have the experience with that risk. Yeah. I've seen very talented people, people more talented than me, not have the financial opportunity from exits and things like that, that I've had because of decisions, not because of skills, right? And then I look at my own life and it's like, okay, Vivint actually, there was two exits with Vivint that I financially benefited from, mm -hmm. right? Once, uh, when, when they, um, there was a, there was an event with Goldman, but the real one was in, when Blackstone bought them, mm -hmm. right? And then, you know, recently they just had another financial event, which I still had some stock with the company, but then Vivint Solar went public and then Vivint Solar got bought by Sunrun. And when those things happen, you know, I, created some accounts and added some value, but I didn't make that happen, right? I wasn't out selling it to banks and I wasn't out, you know, finding the right ways to represent the company. And I wasn't making those decisions to make like product shifts and financial shifts. I've just benefited from it. Right. Yeah. And so when you look at that kind of stuff and someone's like, well, why don't you go start your own thing? You now have the experience to realize and to say, wow, you don't, you don't really realize the fortuitous situation that you're in. You know what I mean? Well, <clears throat> success is a combination of multiple factors, right? So you've got conscientiousness, which is how hard you work. You've got competence, which is how smart you are. You also have luck. You also have timing. Like right. all of those things have right. to be correct, right? All of them in order to achieve like mass success. 
And when you're talking about the solar space in particular, like this is a highly complicated business, right? There is a lot to it. There isn't just the financial piece. There's also like the, the, the personnel piece and there's the fulfillment piece and there's the market share piece. Like it's huge, right? It's a massive endeavor. There's a reason why there's so many orphaned accounts in California, right? right? It's not easy, right? And so on paper, things can look one way, but in reality, they're like starkly different. And so I knew that from like the alarm perspective, let alone the solar perspective, right? So I actually did go off and built a regional company in Washington and we held our paper and we did a good job. And, and that was a comment that way you just start that company. That was 2013. So 2013 to 2021, that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And it was a success, you know, on a different scale, but it was great, but it was a combination of all four of those things, right? There was some definite luck in there. So I found some great people and um, we worked really hard, but we also got lucky and it was also pretty good timing because we were able to like build it, package it and sell it like at a, you know, all of those things kind of aligned. Right. But even then it wasn't what I had wanted it to be. Right. Or it hoped it to be. And so looking at solar, I'm like, this is significantly more complicated than that. This is significantly more capital intensive. Um, you know, because I've been asked that same question. Hey, man, like you were a business owner for like 15 years plus, right? Why wouldn't you just go start your own solar company? And I'm like, listen, man, it's not happening. There's no way. In fact, I'm not even going to go work for a dealer. I will not even work for somebody who doesn't control their paper and somebody who doesn't have robust operations. Not going to do it, right? Um, because I actually understand very well what it's like to do that, mm -hmm. right? To carry the loan and to be the check writer for payroll and to, you know, work with cities and permitting and, 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 you know, all of that stuff, like it's a big deal. And so that's part of the reason why I have a massive appreciation for Sunrun, like a massive appreciation from top to bottom is because I see all of the collective genius that's been put together to make this organization so great. And it is not something that's not significant. It is very significant. And so we have the opportunity to participate in one of the greatest things, like the energy, like revolution for one of the best companies, if not the best company um, that's ever done renewable energy, right? And I'm not even talking about just solar. I'm talking about all facets of renewable energy with a vision and with a desire to help people. Like it's really special. And the fact that we have the ability to make the income that we do with no risk aside from our time, right? Um, that's, that's also really unique, right? Um, because if you want the opportunity to make millions of dollars in business, typically you have to put in what you have, right? And what your friends have. And there's like a lot of sleepless nights when people have like put up their kids college money, um, to, you know, potentially start a business that, you know, well, chances are probably, it's probably not going to make it. And so again, long story short, like. It is very special what you guys have created, you know, you and everybody else that has built this company to what it is. And, and it's funny because one time I like thanked you for it. I was like, Hey man, thanks for what you did. And you're like, Hey, I appreciate that. I didn't do it for you. And I'm like, that's true. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> thanks, man. Oh, man. But you guys really have built like a really cool system and I'm grateful to be a part of it. And, <clears throat> you know, being out here in California after an M3, like it's awesome. Like there's so many, like the problem is still huge. Yeah. Like the rates are crazy. Yeah. Like 
you know, what we, what we deliver to people to help them is, in my opinion, it's just as significant as it was two months ago. The problem is the same. The solution is slightly different, but the problem is the same. And we still have the opportunity to do exactly what we've been doing this entire time, which is help people and build wealth at somebody else's like risk, right? And really smart people have put together the fundamentals to make sure that the risk is, you know, basically, you know, zero. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the potential is almost almost limitless to a degree. And when you talk about like these, you know, these exits that you had, right, or these like cash events, um, that's also really unique, and that's also really cool. And the stock is something that I think that sometimes people undervalue. Um, and it's not something they should undervalue. It's not, again, it's not insignificant. Um, it's actually probably the most significant, right? Like talk to me maybe about uh, you're doing it, but talk to me about your thoughts on that. Because do you come back again, like for people that are listening, 21 years in this industry at a really high success rate provides you a lot of financial opportunity. I mean, you're not saying this, but you just built like your very deliberate kind of like forever home in St. George. You had a lifestyle that you really worked hard to build and you, you secured that, right? Like you, you just sold a company that was pretty successful at a very good multiple, but you're here doing this job that a lot of people don't think about the same way as you had the equity piece not been there. Would you have come back just for the cash portion of the cash opportunity? Um, the answer to that question is yes, I probably would have, um, but it wouldn't have been nearly as appealing. Um, because again, one of the main reasons for me coming back wasn't just the money piece, right? It was like the opportunity to like, you know, kind of reignite something that was really important to me, which is interactions with people and selling something and using my mind in ways that like I had trained it to be used for a long period of time. Um, the money was a benefit, right? Like it was like a, you know, it's, it's also awesome, but it's not the entirety of the thing. Yeah. But the reason why I bring up the importance of the equity is <clears throat> there was a time, and I don't know if this is still true, but for a long time, uh, the company Microsoft had created more millionaires than any other organization. Right. Um, and people think, okay, well, it employed a lot of people, right? Well, a lot of companies employ a lot of people. Okay. In fact, there's a lot of companies that are way bigger when it comes to like uh, employee count than Microsoft. Well, especially when Microsoft initially created all those millionaires, it was almost like everybody, at, like when they first went public, it was almost like everybody in the company became a millionaire. Like the ratio of people to millionaires was insane. But here's the thing is they are still creating millionaires even now through their stock, uh, through, through their stock options and, mm -hmm. and through the equity that they, that they basically allocate every year in addition to their salaries. And so one of the things that I did as I was working up in the Seattle area, building this other company called Protect, is we had like a high-end clientele base that were in like the Bellevue, Seattle area. Like we had really good online presence and wealthy people are really concerned with like having five-star reviews and like going local and stuff like that. So that was kind of our niche was we were way better like on an individual basis than like the big, you know, national operations. So we secured a lot of that like wealthy clientele business. So I'd go into these homes and ask them what they did. And a lot of them were engineers for Microsoft and for Amazon or whatever. Um, 
and the Microsoft guys, uh, who were, you know, working for a couple hundred grand or maybe half a million dollars or whatever as an engineer or developer or something, they lived in multi-million dollar homes on Lake Washington, like $6 million, $8 million, whatever. Right. And so one time I asked the guy, I'm like, well, Hey man, like, you know, a few hundred grand for this home. Um, and he shared with me that like a bulk of his wealth had come from his stock options. Right. And so we're in a place now where the company is still in its early stages. It's, it's definitely in growth mode and will be in growth mode for a long period of time, especially like on a value like perspective, like what the market is currently valuing the company as. And so every share of stock that we can secure at this point is going to be worth, like it's going to be an order of magnitude greater when it comes time to sell it for that person. And so <clears throat> that's really significant to be able to earn the amount that we earn for the job that we do. And on top of that, be given shares or ownership within this company that is like going to be something very, very significant. And the reason why it's going to be something significant is because it's founded on good principles, right? And so people have good ideas. That's normal. But building something that is on, uh, building something on good principles that are like true and are integratable, um, those are important for sustainability, right? And being able to like build over time. And so, you know, before I talked about like the tone of the top, I don't know if I actually used that, that phrase, but like that's what I was referring to mm -hmm. was like the culture that's being built from the top all the way through the org. The reason why that's significant is it's reflective of the value system that like is foundational for Sunra. And to me, that's every indication that I need that the company is not only going the right direction, but it's actually going to be able to endure any change, like pivot, turn, whatever that presently it's facing, but will face in the future. Um, because you have the right competent people with the right plan and the right vision. And so that tells me, okay, Keith, okay, you know, Bay region, okay, West Coast, okay, Sunrun in general, like let's secure some stock, all of us, um, and let's change our lives because of it, right? So make your income, um, enjoy your life, also say what you're making, right? Invest what you're making, but, you know, ambitiously work, to secure the stock in a company that that's actually going to be meaningful for you. So, um, <clears throat> unfortunately, like I left, you know, apex, like they were developing that stock piece when we left, um, you know, and even if like I'd already secured it, like before we left, like it wouldn't have mattered because, so I've never like been able to participate the way that you have, which is really cool. Like, that like windfall that you experienced unexpectedly a few times, like that's really awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also really awesome that so many people have the ability to participate in that. And I don't think that, you know, anyone should undervalue what that opportunity is. Yeah. And I think it's interesting now to have that perspective because when you look at who is assembling, right? Like yourself, but look at like who is coming together because they see that opportunity. Look at the the investors that are coming in. Look at the people that are joining the company. Look at those that are here now that see that and they're holding, holding, holding. You don't see people that are selling their stock. I've, I've had the opportunity to participate in a couple of things, but it's not 
I haven't experienced the thing yet yeah. that's here. Right. And I, I honestly believe that. And I think, you know, what you're talking about is essentially this idea that we share here that suburbanpreneurship, where it's like you have the opportunity to essentially run a business or a franchise that's funded by somebody else, right? Like you sacrifice your time, but you're not putting up your dollars, right? So your risk is very low. Generally, you can have income or ownership, but not both. And generally, ownership is reserved for those that have some sort of founding element, right? That like build it. Here, you have the opportunity that the way you earn your income is also the way you earn equity. And so it, it's just so rare. It's so it's, rare to find that. It is so know. rare. It's so rare. And, and not for nothing, but most ownership does not end in a cash event. Right. Like almost never. Right. Almost never. Like we are tainted, you know, or those of us that are from Utah and we've seen like, you know, Vid and Cell, Culture Cell and these other things. Like we're tainted. Yeah. That is not par for the course of business ownership. Business ownership is accumulating debt, writing paychecks, um, you know, every two weeks, uh, staying, getting there first, leaving last, being stressful, like your hair turns gray prematurely, and then you make a little bit of money and then you either pass it on to your kid or you sell it at an under like valued rate, you know, when you're like, okay, it's time for me to retire. Like that's the normal trajectory of business, right? It's not blow up a tech company and sell it for hundreds of millions. That's so un uh, incredibly rare. Yeah. And so again, like I can't even, I mean, I could talk for hours at how like unique this opportunity is, right? And um, how special it is and how lucky we are. Because it's not just, it's not just a good platform. It's not just good money. It's actually a good service, mm -hmm. right? Like it's actually something that's beneficial. And so <clears throat> that's also rare, right? You're not like delivering like, I don't know, um, uh, styrofoam cups to people or like, you know, you're not selling your pencils, like, you know, like you're securing like a way of life for people. Like you're, you're, uh, you're removing them from something that is in the future going to be so costly that it could be potentially a second mortgage. Um, you are helping, uh, uh, ease this energy crisis that we're, that we're, um, we're driving into at, you know, a thousand miles an hour. Um, you are reducing, uh, the carbon footprint on, in, on the planet. Like it, this is a, it's a meaningful pursuit too, right? So you have the capital piece of it. Um, but you also have like the transcendent piece of it. Um, and then you're surrounded by good people. So it's really something where, um, I would, my advice to anybody is to like, get out of your own head and stop worrying about like whatever changes or things or concerns or, you know, like nitpicky things and look at the big picture. Right. And looking at the big picture helps you just kind of like brush aside right. things that normally would be considered inconvenient. Right. Like stop looking for things to be upset about. Like that serves you. That doesn't serve you at all. Your, your job in life is to improve and to progress. That's our jobs, right? You talk about create, like our job is to create. Well, our job is also to create a better version of ourself, right? And if we're always looking for either excuses or things to be, you know, unhappy with, or, you know, things that allow things to bother us, then we're getting in our own way of our own creation and our own development. And that's what this whole thing is really about. That's why we live our life. That's why we develop relationships and, you know, have families and love our kids or was, I mean, we try to, um, 
And we should take that principle and we should apply it to what we do here. And it makes it far more enjoyable. It makes it easier. It makes it like you can do it over time, right? Like that's sustainable. Um, <clears throat> and then when that's your mode of being, that's how you think people can feel it. Yeah. And it makes it easier to sell because you're like, look, I'm just, I'm just here to help you. Right. And if you say no, it's totally okay. It's not a big deal. Um, but if you say yes, that's great for you. I'm happy for you. Happy for me too, you know, cause my commission is going to be good, but I'm mostly happy for you. Um, so gratitude is like, you know, finding, finding a way to like always find things that you can be grateful for. Um, it's really significant. It's really beneficial. It's good for the soul. It's good for the mind. Um, it's good for your office. It's good for the community. Like every single person in this company contributes in no small way to their family, to their community, and to the broader society. Like that's a thing. Uh -huh. And what's cool is I feel like Sunrun is building a culture of like positive contributors, right? Yeah, we're making money and yeah, you know, whatever, right? But that's temporary and like that's that's just a number on a computer screen. Okay. What we're really doing, like you said, is this is a self-help program with a compensation plan, right? The first part's the meaningful part, the self-help like program. So what we're really doing is we're building a culture of successful people that hopefully are generous and, and hopefully are honest and hopefully want to put good things out in the world. And the harder that you work and the more grateful that you are and the less you look for things to like be upset about and the more you look for things to be ambitious about, the better you're going to be able to accomplish things that matter. So again, like this has, this whole experience has exceeded every single expectation. This is not what I thought I was getting into. I thought I was getting into like kind of a part-time thing to show my kids and mm -hmm. dad's work, right? Cause they didn't see me work, right? Like I didn't get married till I was almost 30 and we had kids a little bit later and they didn't see me like sweating, right? They didn't, they didn't know, right? And so they need to see this. And so that's how it started. And now somehow I find myself in a hotel in California. <laughs> like, it's funny because like, you know, we were in a hotel in Vegas. I never would have imagined that, you know. Just, yeah, that was only just over a year ago. Yeah, it wasn't long ago. And now we're here, right? Doing great things. Um, <clears throat> reshaping the industry and solving problems and coming up with solutions for, you know, like what is the latest transition in the in trend in the industry today? Yeah. And how do we adopt? How do we adapt to it? How do we work together as a team to be good, right? And to like maximize our potential and to overcome whatever those obstacles are. And what's cool is when you're faced with obstacles, that's what gives you an opportunity to expand and to become more, right? So if things are always easy. That's cool because you, yeah. you get used to an easy lifestyle. You get used to like money, like hitting your checking account, but you can't become great without opposition. So think about the best people that you've interviewed, right? Like you interviewed Jocko. Like Jocko is amazing because that dude went across the world and faced death every day and had to work with his team and trust his team and be super smart in order to survive and accomplish the mission. That dude went through some stuff and now he's amazing, right? right? And he continues to challenge himself so that he can stay amazing. So <clears throat> that's another piece of advice is I would say face adversity bravely, courageously. Because it's the best thing that you can do for yourself. It's the best thing that you can do for your family. Is throw yourself into things that are challenging. Because that will help you become more. Which is what we're designed to be. We're designed to be more. 
And that's the cool thing about this job is it gives us opportunity every day to become more because we're doing something that's kind of hard. You have to go and like meet strangers. You have to be vulnerable. You have to like try to talk to them and win their attention, win their trust. Like that's kind of hard, but it's also really fun and it's also really meaningful. And most importantly, it can be done. And it can be done by anybody. It can be done by anybody that puts in the effort and diligently tries to learn, right? Like has the humility to ask questions from people that are doing it and has the ability, has the humility to write stuff down and to apply it and to like try to accelerate their learning as fast as possible. So the expertise or the collective genius is here, right? Like it's on podcasts. There's these Friday morning trainings. We have Lee TV. Your managers know what they're doing. They go to like these trainings and these conferences and they get more content, more information. They're becoming better. And then they share that with their, their people. Um, all of the experiences collectively that people have on the doors, the, the information is there, right? Um, but you have to ask the question you have to say, Hey man, like you did five VCs last week. Can I shout at you for an hour or, you know, Hey, like, what do you say to like, close it? How do you, how do you do like a, um, how do you make it really comfortable? Right? Like it's so that, you know, it's not awkward or whatever, like ask those questions for people that know what they're doing. Um, but you have the privilege and the opportunity to be the one that asks those questions, right? You need to take ownership over your success. Yeah. Don't wait for Sunrun or for your manager or for, you know, somebody else to do it for you. Take ownership, like Jocko's book, Extreme Ownership. Yeah. So one thing I learned in college is, well, two things is one, how to connect with people. Yeah. Right? And how to, how to make relationships. And number two, how to get work done when no one cares whether or not you do it. Right. Like taking ownership, like you're, you, you miss class or you start failing, you don't get a call from your professor saying, Keith, I'm concerned at your current trajectory. You're going to fail. They're like, you paid out of class. You're an idiot if you don't come to it. Right. right. I feel like I always tell people your growth is your own business right now. We'll provide the resources. We'll provide the experience. We'll provide, we'll, 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 we'll architect it. But this job is so it, you know, for the reasons that you said, you have to go out and you have to, you have to challenge yourself and you have to like, you have to face adversity. You have to do it. And so it's almost like a personal trainer. It's like they can design the plan, the meal plan, the, the, the workout plan, but they can't lift the bar. And if they did, you don't grow up, right? Yeah. What's the point in somebody doing that what's for you? Point? Yeah. 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 What's the point? So I think, you know, I've long like held that the difference between people that are ultimately successful at this and those that never maximize their potential is the way they think. And so I'm really grateful that you've spent this over an hour now, like helping people understand the way you think, because whatever, whatever obstacles are ahead for the industry, for the business, for yourself, for life, whatever, you'll navigate it. Well, you always have, like, think about the industry where it was when you started versus now, and you're still here leading, right? It's because you have this ability to think properly. You don't think fear-based, you think opportunity-based, right? You, you can zoom out and look at the bigger picture. A lot of people don't have that capacity. They, they can only look at the rut that's immediately in front of them, not the entire track that they still have to face. And so, but all else, man, I'm grateful. Like, thank you for one, joining the army and, and working with us in this just cause. But number two, thank you for sharing because I think this mindset and, and thought process is going to help a lot of people. Yeah, you bet. If you're listening to this and interested in joining our teams, DM us on Instagram at run the league. What are you waiting for? Run the league, shoot us a DM, and let's get going.